0: Standing as we read Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, continuing down through verse 17, as we consider these three miracles that immediately followed Matthew's account on the Sermon on the Mount, now hear the Word of God. When he had come down from the mount, mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gifts that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority. I am a man under, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say that to you that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed. So let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Our gracious father. Apart from the Spirit giving us understanding and faith, we cannot understand the text that you have clearly put here this morning. And so we look to you to give us faith, and with that faith that we can understand. And with that faith we can also apprehend the promises and the hope that is herein, and pray that we would live according to it with a greater capacity to rise and follow Jesus in whatever lot that He has assigned to our lives, and that we might do it with greater joy and confidence and satisfaction and contentment. Lord, we are a lot that often complains, and yet we've been given so much. So Lord, teach us from the Word now, and instruct us with your Spirit, and make the application very particular and specific to each one of us, and to us as a whole. And so we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Each week when we come together, God challenges us and encourages us with the gospel. The point of these chapters are to hear the teachings of Jesus and say, wow, what kind of man is this that teaches like that? And to again show us his great works so that we would then say, with what kind of man can he do things like this? And those are intended for us to to trust in who this Jesus is and to his power and his authority and his willingness so that we might rise up and wholeheartedly follow this Savior. And the one thing that stands in the way of us wholeheartedly giving ourselves to follow Jesus is a wholehearted faith. Some of you come here today with strong faith. Others come here with very weak faith, perhaps some with no true saving faith at all. But the call is the same. If you but trust His Word, Jesus has everything you need. And it's only Jesus who can fill everything that you need. We look at three miracles today. From Last Lord's Day, we saw a broad stroke in chapter 8 and 9 of what Matthew was doing specifically as he was not arranging these 10 miracles in chapter 8 and 9 in chronological order, but rather in a theological order and for a purpose in mind. He has a very specific reason he does this, and he's particularly writing to a Jewish audience. So today we're going to allow the narrative of the story to transport us back into the setting in which these things were written not too long after they happened. Jesus's ministry had lasted about three years upon this earth, and Matthew then writes a couple of decades later, approximately about 45 to 50 A.D., this morning, in order to grasp this narrative, you need to change your seat this morning and, and be that Jewish reader about 45 to 50 A.D. from the, this letter, this Gospel of Matthew. And now you are there in this setting and you are hearing this Gospel for the first time. And you're going to listen to this passage as a Jew would listen to it, with all of the baggage, with all of the culture, with all of the biases that a Jew would then have. And the first thing that Matthew reveals to us as he comes down off the mountain and multitudes followed him is a leper. And he heals this leper who came to him. Leprosy was caused by bacteria that numbs the nerve endings. And it was over a period of time something that would just waste away the body. It would just erode away. It was a very slow and painful death. Little by little as it ate the body and its limbs away. It was a dreadful disease and probably one of the most horrible and and dreaded diseases of our day. In 45 to 50 B.C. or A.D. Over the course of its time, it would often disfigure people, sometimes to the place where they were not easily recognized. And when someone contracted leprosy, they were then isolated from everyone else. They were cut off from family and from friends and from society and their community and their support to live a slow and painful death. We have two lengthy chapters in Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 that gives us instructions about this dreaded disease, explains what the community is to do when someone comes down with leprosy. Included in those directives are the instructions that one is to accept his condition And when someone draws near to him, he is to put his hand over his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he is to live outside of the camp. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we have leprosy associated with sinfulness. But this is an analogy and a picture of how a leper lived Very much like one who is a sinner. One who is cut off. One who is wasting away. And that is what the Jewish reader hears. This is what is going on in the Jewish mind when he reads of a leper coming to Jesus. And listen to what happens when this leper comes out to meet, meet, to meet Jesus. He says, and behold, a leper came out and worshipped him. That word means to bow down. Mark tells us that in his account that this leper fell to his knees. In Luke's account, Luke tells us he fell to his face. This is the first time in Jesus' public ministry... That anybody had ever done that for him. Previous time was years ago. When the the magi came. And they did that for him. But what you hear him say. He says in conviction. Lord if you are willing. You can make me clean. And that was an amazing statement of faith. An amazing understanding of who this Lord was and what he was able to do. The leper believes that Jesus can heal him. That was not the question. The question for the leper, however, was, was Jesus willing to do this for me? And Jesus' response to the leper would have been quite shocking to the onlooker. And as we hear it, it's shocking for us. It says that he reached out and touched his hand. The first time in a very long time that this man had felt the the warmth of a human hand. There's a beautiful scene right there. When Jesus reached out and touched him. A man who had lived in isolation, a man who was to cry unclean, a man who could not touch another human being and had to stay far from him now is feeling the warmth of the Savior in his humanity, but with the authority as God touching him. And Jesus spoke and says, I am willing to be cleansed. Then Jesus instructed the man to go and be silent about his healing. He was up north, and he tells this man and instructed this man, Now make haste and go directly to Jerusalem, way down south, and present yourself to the priest in the temple, and bring there with you all the instruction of Leviticus 13 and 14, and they'll know what to do because they've got Leviticus 13 and 14. Why the silence, I don't exactly know. Perhaps maybe he was too disfigured to even be recognized. And then with his healing, certainly to be recognized in his newly healed flesh. Perhaps it would be a distraction to the very mission on now which Jesus was sending him into the temple. For the Lord was sending this healed leper right into the temple like a guided missile. Be a testimony down there of what great things this man had taught and of what great things this man has done. The instruction in Leviticus 13 and 14 would require the priest to check over this leper for over eight days, evaluating and testing and seeing if indeed this man had been truly healed of his leprosy. It was very, very likely. That the priest in Jerusalem had never seen a leper healed and cleansed of his leprosy. In fact, we only have one case in the entire Bible of anyone being healed from leprosy. And that was miraculously done to Naaman. And that was quite unprecedented. And Jesus now is going to use the law to point to himself. Could it be that for these two chapters of Leviticus 13 and 14, some 116 verses of Holy Scripture were given in much the same way as he healed that blind man in John chapter 9, When this man was born blind and Jesus healed him many years later in his adulthood, not because of the sin of him or his parents, but that God may be glorified. God gave that man the assignment in his life and the lot of his life to be blind so that one day Jesus could come and heal him. And could it be that Leviticus Thirteen and fourteen that has to be read and reread again by people of old, and even as you do today, you read through these things. You say, "What? What's the point? Why would the Holy Spirit take so many verses to express to us these things that in our day are almost outdated?" And could it be that those? Verses in those chapters of Leviticus 13 and 14 were there and preserved for this particular occasion. For the whole reason that this man would go into the temple and the priests, most likely for the first time in their hearing, quite possibly in the history of Israel, have to go through and dust off the pages once again of Leviticus 13 and 14 and figure out what to do for eight days and consider what great things have happened in their midst that they have to evaluate. And when the end of it all came, they would have to confess and admit and see that this man truly was healed of his leprosy. And see for this man this was the entire interpretive key to explain what was going on with his whole life that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ in doing what he did whatever God has for you as a Christian that too is your interpretive key. God has something at stake in where He's placed you in life, in the time He's placed you in this world, in all of the circumstances that surround you, and the gifts He's given you, and the challenges and trials He has ordered for you. He has something at stake in you. And when God desires for you to trust Him in quiet submission and follow Him, He's got a plan and a reason for it. And if you can remember that in difficult times, in challenging circumstances or difficult decisions, that will help you trust Him and follow Him. So perhaps Leviticus 13 and 14 were put in the scriptures for no other reason than that for 15 centuries they would be kept, so that the Son of God would heal a leper like this guy and send him into the temple to cause the priests there to consider what great things this King of Israel has done. The Spirit used Matthew to record this. Matthew was a tax collector. We know how we feel about tax collectors. And he's giving us this gospel of this great man. The leper believed Jesus could heal him. But the question for him, Lord, I know you can, but are you willing to do that for me? And Jesus immediately replied, I am willing, be cleansed. The word cleansed here is used only of this kind of disease. Leprosy being somewhat of a visual picture of the effects of sin in someone's life. Jesus is both able and willing to clean people up. That's what he came to do. Of all the personal effects and the disfigurement and the social effects and the isolation that goes along with sin, the sense of loneliness and fear, Jesus is both willing and able to fix and clean up sinners. And there he ends it. Matthew ends it right there. God does not want us to pause and spend any more time right there because there's a lot more that could be said about this event around Jesus' healing of this leper. We know that because Mark spends twice as much material on this healing, but the Holy Spirit wants Matthew to get on with it. He wants to get on to the next miracle because there's purpose purpose, and why he juxtaposed this one with the next one, and giving too many details about this one, would lose that connection that the Spirit wants us to see. So he goes on to the second miracle, which is given in verses 5 through uh, 13, and that is, again, what he records, and we see it through Jewish eyes. Matthew is writing, in a time that is previous to the Jewish war, that would destroy the Jews, and wiping them and their temple out in A.D. 70. And he's writing to Jews in the time that is prior to that, but when tensions were mounting between 45 and 50 A.D. And as a Jewish reader, you read that a centurion came to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant. Well, that man was a Gentile. He was not only a Gentile, he was a Roman military soldier. And he was also one of high rank. Now, if you were living in your homeland, it had been taken over by a foreign dominant people, How would you think if you got up in the morning and you looked out your window and you saw a foreign, armed, occupied troops outside all around your city? The sight of a Roman soldier in their country is like a waving flag in front of a bull. It stirred them up. And this man was nothing but the embodiment of a forcible occupation of their land. The Jews were looking for a Messiah to come deliver them from such. And this scene is what God wants his Jewish readers and us to see on the heels of the cleansing of that leper. Matthew could have told you other things about the situation, but the Holy Spirit refrained him from doing so. You have the same account in Luke's gospel. And Luke informs us that this centurion had also sent Jewish elders to Jesus to entreat Jesus to heal his servant. And that these Jewish elders gave testimony of this Roman centurion that this man loves our nation. And he built our synagogue and he is worthy of this. Now, this is in Luke's account. But Matthew doesn't give us any of that backstory. Because if you had known that as a Jewish reader, that would cause you to have a bit of sympathy or a change of mind in how you would view this Roman centurion. But in Matthew's gospel written to Jews, the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to change your mind in your reading of this. That's why he left that information out. At least at this point, God doesn't want you to change your opinion he doesn't want you to moderate your prejudice that you have against this Roman Gentilian Gentilian if that's a word soldier. He wants you to read all of the story with the prejudice writing rising in your heart and even stirring up with your cheeks flushing with red and all of the emotion that you would have if you heard and saw who was coming to Jesus. Now, there's no dishonesty of the Scriptures here. It's a matter of God calling your attention to certain things in certain accounts for different reasons. The audience of Luke's Gospel was predominantly and primarily Gentile. But in Matthew's, it's predominantly and primarily Jewish. And that's why I'm asking you to read it as a Jewish audience in 45 to 50 A.D. Tensions are mounting, and you've got this Roman centurion who is the embodiment of this foreign dominion and invasion. And yet you don't know the backstory, so you consider him as still something of a threat and something that needs to be overthrown. And the Spirit says, I want you to feel that consternation in your spirit you typically experience when you think of Rome. And then you're going to hear this Jesus say, I will come and heal him. Now, what God wants us to see here is specifically pointed out in in verses 8 and 9. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, when you're put in a response, a position of responsibility like that, and particularly in Rome, you're supposed to be just be able to say to those who are under you, go do this. And they just go do it. Without any argument, without any rebellion, without any consternation in their spirit, they just know they're just go do it. You speak the word, they do it. It's very easy. It's effortless. And he's saying all this because he views Jesus as being in the exact same kind of position of authority as he was. And when the Lord hears this centurion's estimation of him and the rights and his authority to just speak the word and it will be done. Jesus marveled, the scripture says. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Only two times Jesus has ever said to be marveled or amazed like that. One time. It was When he went back to his hometown of Nazareth, and it says that the people there did not have Much faith. And so Jesus did not many works there because they did not have much faith. And he marveled at their unbelief. And here, the other time, it says he marveled at the faith of this Gentile Roman soldier. Jesus goes on then to tell them about the future. In verses 11 and 12, and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. Those are the Gentiles. Many will come from all over the place, the east and the west, and here's the whole Gentile world. And now many will come and they will sit with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while the sons of the kingdom, you Israelites, will be cast out in utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's pointing ahead to the future unbelieving Jew and the faith-filled Gentiles. There's a sub-theme of faith that is going on throughout this entire couple of chapters. And then the conclusion of this miracle in verse 13, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And putting these miracles back to back, There's some lessons here that we can consider, remembering that you are a Jewish reader. And when it comes to Israel, which the leper is in the embodiment and a representative, if you will, of Israel. And we are to know that Jesus is not only able, but he is willing to cleanse his people. Lord, I know you can. Are you willing to do it for me? And when it comes to Israel, how can you question his willingness? Jesus ministered to them first. He gave them promises. To them were the adoption and the covenants and the commonwealth. And to them he came and they were the cradle of this Messiah. On the other hand, when it comes to the Gentiles even the despised military people, Jesus is also willing and able. I will come and I will do that. In fact, sometimes the Gentiles grasp of Jesus' authority to deal with human malady was such that they viewed Him as able to deal effortlessly with their problems and what they sought Him for. Just like a high man or a man in high position can just say, do this, and it will be done. That's all that they believe Jesus could do. this. Lord, just say the word. You don't even have to go visiting. Just say it from here. It will be done. I get this. I get your authority. What about the rest of us? see this third miracle in the section in verses 14 through 18 and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And when the days were spent, and the evening came after that miracle. They brought many to him who were demon possessed and he had compassion on them. And you have this time after the day was far spent and he was after he healed the mother-in-law. And now he's healing people of diseases. And now Matthew includes something that no other gospel includes in this account. He gives us scripture for what Jesus is doing. He gives us the authority. He gives us the reason. He gives us the design. He's revealing to us what Jesus is doing. And Matthew quotes from Isaiah 53. Now Isaiah 53 does not deal with our physical illnesses. And maladies. And infirmities. But it deals with his substitutionary atonement for our sinfulness. Taking our guilt and bearing the wrath of God for us. And he quotes from the fourth verse of this wonderful chapter. But the wording that Matthew uses is different than Isaiah. And this is the Holy Spirit extracting from the words that are there. Words that are broad enough to cover even the addition of human sinfulness to what is stated here with these maladies and demon possession and with these sicknesses. Because there is a connection between our sin and our physical infirmities. In fact, it was the apostle in Romans five twelve. therefore, just as one man entered sin, entered the world and death through sin. And so death passed unto all men because all have sinned. He says even in Romans 8 that the entire creation is under this malady and groans and is subject to vanity. And we live out our days here upon this earth in an environment that shows the marks and the effects of sin upon the entirety of human race. And if God's salvation is worth anything at all, it has to be powerful enough to reverse all of the effects of that. Not just the hidden. And not just the spiritual, but also the physical and everything about it. And that is why there is a whole point in the resurrection that we long to have one day. Complete reversal and removal of all of that. God's salvation is such that all of the effects of sin, the sin itself and all of the effects and all of the consequences are reversed. And that's what Jesus is doing because he is authorized for this. There is Bible for that. And the Bible tells us this is why he was coming. And this is what he is doing. And Matthew wants us as Jewish audience to know this is the Messiah. It's not just a foreign dominion. In a physical realm, in a temporal time, that this Messiah is coming. He is coming as the King. And He is coming as the King over the nation. He is coming over the King of all the nations. He is coming over the King of all the nations for all of the time. He is coming over all of the demonic dominions and powers and principalities that you do not see. He's even over them. He's coming over the wind and the waves. He is coming over everything. And this King is in your presence. And this Is Jesus who can reverse all of the effects of sin. And that's what he was doing. He is certainly able. And you as God's people are sitting here today and say, yes, I believe he's able. I know this Jesus is able, but you are plagued with the same kind of thing we're plagued with. But is he willing to do it for me? That's the question. that's the question that plagues us this morning, is it not? We don't doubt Jesus can do that. But is he willing to do it for me? And that's where faith comes in. And that's what he's trying to get us to see over and over and over. Do you believe? Remember when he marveled at the one time that he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. And now he marvels at this Roman centurion because of his great faith. Lord, I know you can. And I know you're willing. Just say the word right now, Lord. You know what? That's where God wants his people. That's the kind of faith and His authority and His ability that He wants His people. Not only can He, but He is willing to do this for me. He wants us to reach out and grab that and take a hold of it by faith and say, Lord, I know You can, and I know You're willing to do this for me. See, the the centurion was set up as an example for us. Of understanding the authority of Jesus, but also his willingness to do it, not just for the Israelites, but for him. And so he comes. One of the effects of the fall that you have to get up to every morning is you work by the sweat of your brow just to earn the daily bread. And when you get up and you do that, it still seems like there's not enough bread to go around for the day. Now, is there any scripture for that anywhere? It's a pop quiz. Is there any scripture anywhere for your daily bread? There is. And it's not been too long in the past that we've covered that. Where he is to to say, you pray for your daily bread. You take that claim right to the throne of heaven. And God is not going to make a mockery out of you for doing so. If you but seek the kingdom and his righteousness first, all of these things are going to be added to you. Now there's scripture for that. There's authority for that. And you take those scriptures to the throne of grace and you believe that not only he is able, but he is willing to do that for you. There's not a single promise in scripture that is yours if you cannot receive it by faith and you are to receive it by faith and you are to believe that God is a rewarder of those who come to him by faith and you take that scripture because God has given you the authority to do it and you bring it to him and you lay it down and you claim it and you say, Lord, you said that you would do this. You are able to do this. And Lord, I believe you are willing to do it because your word says it right here. See, that's, that's how we're to live life. The just shall live by faith. And we live by faith in what he has said. And we take what he has said and we bring it back to him and we trust him and we pray to it, And he, we can count on these things. So you know he's able, but the question is, will he, is he willing to do it for you? If you question that, no matter what your circumstance, go find a Bible verse for it. Go search the Scriptures and see what God has said about your circumstance and your dilemma. And you then take that to the throne of grace and say, Lord, this is my situation. This is my desire. I know you're able And your will says, here it is. When it comes to sickness, James tells us exactly what to do. This is the will of God for you in James chapter 5 that we read about. If you're sick, let him call for the elders to come and pray over them, anointing them with oil and the prayer of the sick. Now he will be healed and if he has sinned, the sins will be forgiven him. That's the will of God. That is what He has revealed to us and what we should do and how we are to trust in Him. And if He doesn't heal you in this life, there are scriptures too that you are to go to and you meditated on that at the very beginning because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life and if you love Me and you keep My commandments, let me tell you something, my friend. If you do that... You, on that time when your life is finished here, you will not see death. And he challenges us here. Whoever believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe that? That's what he says, John chapter 11. Verily, verily, I say to you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see. I don't know what that means, if a man never sees death. It's only given to those who believe it. It's only given to Christians. It's only those who will claim that. Do you believe that? I trust that will probably be the most endearing promise in that very moment when you're about to cross over Jordan and you memorize John 8:51. And you bring it to the throne of grace when your time on earth is finished. And you can have great confidence that you will not see death. Because that's what Jesus says. Do you believe this? He says. Do you believe it? And see, that's what these chapters are designed to do. We are to... To give it all up to Jesus. We're not to follow like the two men who had the conversation with Him. Well, first let me go bury my dead. Let me go do this. No, we are to be like Matthew who rose up and followed Him. Whatever the costs were. That's the call of discipleship that... Each of the Gospels are going to continue to call us to. Do you truly trust Him? Is, this, is your all on the altar for this Jesus? Have you truly given Him everything? And no matter what happens, are you trusting Him for your life and for your lot? Are you willing to obey Him when He says this? Are you willing to do it without complaint, without murmuring, without circumstance? Are you just willing to go do this with great contentment? That's what Jesus is calling His people That's a true disciple. So if you doubt any of this, open your Bible. See what Jesus is willing and able to do for you. He did it for outcasts of Israel. He did it for despised Gentiles. And He's willing to do it for you. Get the authority of Scripture behind you and take it to Jesus. And come to Him with all the confidence to appeal to Him. Based on the very word He has given you to do that. Because that's what he wants you to do. You see, this is the means of grace. Rise up and follow him. Whatever your lot is in your life, whatever he's assigned to you, you follow him. Whatever Jesus calls you to do, be content and follow him. He's got plans for you that you cannot now see. If he desires for you to remain single and unmarried with your life, you follow him with contentment and joy and happiness and not kicking. If he has called you to be a young couple and, and he desires for you not to have children of which he opens and closes the womb, then you follow him with great contentment and with peace because he's got a plan for that and a purpose that you do not see. Whatever the plan is for Jesus, believe him and follow him as one who is effortlessly following him. And trust and believe that Jesus is willing and entirely able to deal with everything you have to deal with in this fallen world for that is the very reason He came and that is the very reason He brought you here today. After all, He brought you this far. What is it for another day to rise up and follow Jesus? Our gracious Father... We pray that as we go through these chapters in the word, we pray that you would stir us up and stir the faith up in our eyes to see the great things of who the Lord is and his great authority. We live too often with the things that our eyes can see, our minds can imagine and the things that we make up and the things that we dream about and the worries of the future of the unknowns. But Lord, you have called us to walk by faith daily. Trusting you. For we do not know what tomorrow may bring forth, but today is our victory in Christ. And tomorrow will be if we're trusting Him. So Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort in stronger faith to your saints here this day. That we might know that you do know where you are leading us, even though we cannot see it. Whatever your lot is for our life, that we would joyfully receive it. That we would live it effortlessly. ...under the command and the rule of King Jesus. Where you tell us to go, we will go. Where you tell us to come, we will come. And what you tell us to do, we will do it. And so we trust in your authority. We're trusting that you are willing to do these good things to us. How thankful we are for the promises and the instruction you've given us in your word today. Now with the Spirit of God, apply it to our lives in the very circumstances that we face... And give us faith to endure these things to the glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.